The Slow Tempo by We Got Guru, a podcast series about anything and everything related to music. So, Rishi, uh, what bands have you been listening to lately? Uh, different ones, okay. but what stands out is a lot of uh, the Doors songs. Okay, so you're going back to the olden 60s. Yeah, I think it's that. kind of also ties in with the kind of strange year we have been having. Oh, exactly, uh, strange days. So a lot of the songs probably you know are mm-hmm. more resonating with the times that we have been seeing for the last few months. Exactly, exactly. So what made you listen to the Doors? I mean, what's so significant? I think I've always uh, you know listened to them for a long time, mm-hmm. um, right from when I was out of college. Okay, is yeah. when I first heard them, as a lot of us probably do, mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, was struck by the kind of uh, songs that they sang, the the, the performances, and the mm. you know, the strong lyrics and the imagery associated with all of that. So it's been quite an influence, yes. So they kind of stand out on the dark side, right? Uh, totally, yes. Totally, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It resonates with this whole 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what are your favorite those songs? I think that's quite a few. I think I can't put a finger on it, on any one of it. Uh, um, but I think uh, quite a few of them are. They always. Yeah, always. Like each song is different. It's totally different. Other, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, Jim Morrison is a very good songwriter, and I think he's a good poet. He was a good poet. Right. Yeah. I think it, more than a songwriter, probably his poetry is yeah more is, than that comes out as star more thingy, yeah yeah exactly. I think that was probably the biggest part of mm-hmm. you know what he stood for or the kind of things that he put it out there exactly. Uh, and I think um, you know we can go back to you know, how the name itself came about. You know the Doors, mm-hmm. uh, and he was heavily influenced by a lot of the philosophers that he Correct. that he read about. Uh, Aldous Huxley, absolutely, yeah. and uh, you know the the varied uh, kind of subjects that he mm. uh, covered uh, and read, and which showed up in the kind of music uh, that he wrote uh, or he performed is is mm. I think uh, ties in very nicely. I see. Any any specific songs that you you particularly listen to of theirs? I would say I listen to the underrated stuff like Indian Summer. Okay. Yeah, that's a very brilliant song. It right. starts with the sitas, the sita, you know, starting, and uh, then there's Riders on the Storm. Right. I mean, apart from the lyrics being dark, I mean, it's a very dark image. That I think a lot of a lot of their songs are yeah. on the darker side. But I think the thing about this song is that it encapsulates rain so well. When Ray Manzarek, you know, he plays that solo over his keyboard or piano, whatever that instrument is. Right. Uh, and you know. Whenever he hits that note, it sounds like raindrops falling on the window. You know, it's tapping the window. I, I never thought of that image when listening to the song. Actually, I, know, I should go back. It's like the most peaceful image you can find right. in the song. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Riders 
a main, you know, uh, a rock star typically has. Exactly. Right? It's, it's kind of very, you know, uh, haunting, uh, if you can it's say haunting. that. I would say it's, uh, it's a bit of uh, Elvis, a bit of Frank Sinatra. He was, he was extremely yeah. heavily influenced by Elvis. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I mean, there's a story which goes that, you know, whenever his Elvis song came up on the radio, you know, uh, everybody had to just, you know, shut up. <laughs> you know, so correct, he, was, correct. he was a huge, huge fan. Um, I can imagine because I think you know his voice is not not exactly the same, but you can feel that influence is always right. there. And um, you know, uh, being a rock band, you mm -hmm. know, um, it's another interesting point that he there were not too many rock artists that he looked up to or was exactly. influenced by, you know, I it think was more of... He was influenced by classical stuff. Very classical stuff, you know, mm. Peggy Lee, you know, mm. R&B, okay, those kind yeah. of stuff. I see, I see. Yeah. And what about his upbringing? Was he... Because, you know, from the person he was as uh, a rock he had a He had a very troubled childhood. Uh, probably also a very strict childhood because his father was in the armed forces. Okay, the Navy, I think, right? Navy or, you know, I, I'm not really sure. So, but, you know, he, he was never in one place, you know, they, they constantly mm. changed places. There was no rootedness, probably, I and mean, if you look back exactly. uh, to anything, um, he was constantly in turmoil. He, he, in fact, you know, disowned his family as soon as he was kind of an adult oh, when he started, yeah, yeah, you know, becoming famous. You know, mm. he, he said they were all dead. Hmm. So he, I think, had a very troubled childhood, which also added up to the kind of stuff that he produced much later. I don't think he wanted to link his family to what he was doing. Right. Because there was, and it was like completely There's also a story side. which says that, you know, the first time his hmm. somebody brought one of his songs home for his father to listen, he said, you know, this, okay. this, this person should be away from music because he doesn't know anything about music. His yeah, voice. he wrote a letter to right. Morrison saying that he's an absolute waste of Correct. talent. Correct. So, you know, so I think... Uh, all of that probably added to hmm. uh, to the to the to his writing and to his music. Exactly. I think that was the last time he contacted his dad. Yeah. Yeah. And from there was just right dead and end. Because you know, in, in most of his interviews, he said you know hmm. they were all dead. He was an only child, though he had siblings. Exactly. Right. And I think there was this journalist named Patricia who was always with him. Uh, not, not and uh, not very aware of that, but hmm. yeah. I think uh, she was the one who got out the details that he had siblings and okay. that his parents, the whole family was alive right. and all that. Okay. So yeah, I think they were very close, uh, her and Jim. Interesting. And uh, I think they got, they got married in a witch ceremony. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was never married. I mean, like not formally married as such, right? Yeah, never formally married. Married to anybody, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hmm. But I think it's all... Uh, the kind of stuff he probably mm. read, you know, the philosophers, the poets. Mm -hmm. uh, so what were some of them he read? I think he read uh, Jack Kerouac, he read uh, oh, okay. Ginsberg, William Burroughs. Mm -hmm. uh, he read uh, a lot of the philosoph French philosophers. Mm. Uh, he read Rimbaud. Um, so I think, uh, which can also be seen in a lot of uh, the spoken poetry that he has mm. performed. You know, short proses. Uh, uh, especially, you know, the style that Rimbaud wrote about, you know, sh very short prose poetry kind of stuff. Hmm. Uh, that is very evident. Uh, the amount of imagery uh, that comes across in, 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 in a lot of the lyrics is, 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 I think, really amazing. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, all his influences of uh, existentialism, nihilism, loneliness. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the recurring images of the highway and the desert and everything associated with us is is very, very uh, for you know uh, stark. It's a very good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of his songs. You know, he keeps referring back to the desert and hmm. a lot of the stuff associated with the desert. A lot to do with the desert. So I think uh, what song of his would like resonate perfectly with the desert? Would you say it's the end or Roadhouse Blues? I think that the Roadhouse Blues, uh, the Ghost Song, hmm. um, and and a couple of others where he's very. Uh, you know, he a peace frog. Peace frog. Yeah, peace frog. I think he he speaks about yeah. the the desert incident. Right. Indians scattered on dawn's highway, bleeding. Ghosts crowd the young child's fragile eggshell mind. Kind of like a road accident, but nothing like how he described it. Exactly. But it kept recurring back in a lot of the songs that he wrote. I think I think that was the root influence in all his music. Right. I think um, a lot of the Native American influence the in his performances could be seen. You know, the shamanic dances, the rituals that he performed. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, even off stage, he's supposed to have uh, been heavily influenced by it, and you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a lot of the rituals he did with his. Uh, in his relationships were all you know heavily influenced by this correct true For, but you know uh, all said and done uh, one thing that really stands out is you know he was not musically trained uh, mm. he had no formal training or you know background in music but uh, in a very short span of time he was extremely productive or I think he had know, a bunch of great bandmates around him Totally yeah. true. Yes, because I think a lot of the lyrics were written uh, by right. Robbie Krieger. Exactly. Like uh, a lot of the fire. big, big songs, including the first one, "Like My Fire." Yep. Uh, but I think they were phenomenally productive, uh, given that he was heavily into substance abuse. Exactly. You know, in a matter of you know five or six years, they they brought out so many hmm. uh, studio albums and performances. He wrote a phenomenal amount of poetry, got it published, and a lot of them. Yeah. You know, got released or published uh, after his death. Correct, correct. That's true. And this is uh, one album. It's called the American Prayer. Right. Yep. The one that's based completely on his poetry, but after his death. Right. Much, much after his death. Much after yes. his death. Yeah. I think. I think they found it in in an archive uh, because most of his poetry was lost. Like they recovered some tapes from Paris. They actually compiled and called it lost tapes in Paris. Right. I think it's the same one. I'm not so sure. So was it all kind of like? Uh, recorded, uh, he had recorded and kept it somewhere. Yeah, it was like uh, I think most of his recordings that he's done, spoken poetry. Okay. Were in the studio. Were in the studio from at the I don't know age of 27. Actually, on his 27th birthday, he he was alone, just the sound guy inside the studio, okay. just him and sound guy, and he was just reading out his poetry. That's all he was doing. Interesting. Yeah. And, and then later on, they found the, the entire tapes collection, and okay. they were like, "Okay, we need to compose some music to it." And that's how the Ghost Song came to life, and uh, Newborn Awakening, Dawn's Highway, Bird of Prey. I think Bird of Prey is an acapella, but still brilliant. And you know the way he sings, I can actually tell how much he's influenced. I mean, how much training he's got from his bandmates, especially Ray Manzarek. 
I read somewhere the initial days when Jim Morrison was starting out to sing. I mean, he was like, he was not belting out the right tunes. So okay. he was somewhere there. So Rim and Zarek pushed him. And I also read that uh, probably it has got to do with him being a very shy person. Yeah, that's uh, also there. He used to be very shy for, in his performances. For all the, you know, uh, exactly. extremely exaggerating public performances, he was mm. supposed to have been a very, mm. privately a very shy person. Apparently a very shy person. He used to turn towards his bandmates, you know, his backs against the audience. So right. that, that was his scenario. And then, I don't know how he gained the confidence, but as soon as that happened, everything turned around. Probably became a totally different person when on stage and... You know, I think because yeah, himself you know, in that moment. It's like completely, you know, it's like you have your life outside the thing and then when you come inside. So I think, uh, you know, maybe outside he was a very basic, simple person. But was he ever sober? Is an interesting he was, question. Uh, no, uh, he was never sober. I don't ever recall. So I don't think sober. he could have, you know, uh, I mean, would have written such hmm. uh, phenomenal stuff if he was probably sober. Exactly, exactly. But then, you know, the, he did make his efforts to, but, you know, it, it didn't work out that well. But, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of his stuff were based on, you know, when he was going through substance abuse and all that. But then again, even during those times, he did try to get away and boycott all what he was doing. Basically, he wanted even to say, he actually signed a death certificate. Oh, interesting. His own death certificate. Okay. That's morbid. It's very morbid. <laughs> so what happened was he tried to boycott everything and he just wanted to write poetry. He wanted to get back to his core element, which is brilliant because I think uh, he, he's a, he was a good poet and if he was alive, you know, his his view on the world already is it's way futuristic. But... Uh, you know, uh, would he have been such a cult hero if he had, you know, continued living beyond, you know, when? Well, no, I think if he lived beyond 27, he'd be jailed for a lot of time. Right. And then as the laws kept coming up, I don't think he would be able to cope up with anything. Maybe he would have gone and he would have been with indigenous people. Okay, I think that's... That's a whole lot of speculation that we can probably, you know, yeah, yeah. get into. But you know, I think his whole personality was hmm. was and and the cult that that became that he became was also probably to do with uh, that he died young. He died young. Yeah, that that's also there. He was part of the Twenty Seven Club, and that's right. a lot of great artists lost their lives at the age of twenty seven. I think we could, uh, you know, use that as a theme for one of our series. You know, uh, the, we should actually. the amount of. I Great artists who died so at the age of 27 and why why it's such a yeah, fascinating exactly. number and age. I mean, is there some mysticness to it towards uh, it? I don't think so. It seems to be, but <laughs> you know, uh, maybe there's some matter out there mm. that somebody has researched on and you know, we could probably do that. Yeah, we could probably do that in the next yeah. session. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you know, talking about their music and performances, they were not really, you know, uh, in sync with the times in the sense that a lot of the songs were really really long you know they were exactly. not not you know a four or five minute kind of a song a lot of the songs were hmm. you know eight ten eleven and and beyond sure. and, and when he was performing on stage there was no set pattern right i mean that was the beauty of it i mean when when he was on stage when he was on set each song would sound a different more different than how it was recorded like let's say the end 
or light my fire he just changed the lyrics on the stage right. and he just what he does is spoken poetry so he just blends that in and he does beautiful improv you you i mean in a lot of their uh, you know studio recordings also you hear those hmm. extremely long riffs and exactly and, you know uh, that the, the organ music going on and on and on uh, of course you know it it changes its tempo exactly. but there are long segments of it with absolutely you know no lyrics in between I think everything about the doors is strange but I think the idea here is that every individual was very talented in music let's say John Densmo the drummer he was a jazz freak Robbie Krieger was trained in flamenco and I think he did play the sitar okay he did take few lessons Raymond Zarek was a avid piano player keyboardist and he had his own band with his brothers his elder brothers And, and a lot of them, you know, uh, even after mm -hmm. you know, Jim Morrison's death, and and when they tried, of course, you know, continuing as the Doors, but yeah, they have this successful. album. But a lot of them continued playing for many years after that. They still do. I, you, if you go right now on YouTube and type Robbie Krieger, you'll get all the tutorials to the Doors music. So that's what Robbie is up to. John's Densmo is purely into percussion, in terms of uh, sound production and everything, and he also does teaching these days. So you know, and unfortunately, Raymond Zarek isn't alive anymore. And I think he was the glue of the band, being an older guy, being an older guy, being the much more wiser guy in terms of sobriety. Right. Yeah. So, right. but even the uh, the others also, they were also they had their own personalities, which was kind of cool also. There I think there's a you know whole lot of material mm -hmm. and you know points to discuss about Jim Morrison and the Doors, and I think. we could have a series of them talking about yeah we could you know, for sure the, the influences the mm -hmm. the kind of music that they produce the his performances his you know off stage life exactly uh, i think as we could probably you know uh, think about a whole series about them mm. um, but i think for now it is a good introduction i think for now it's a good introduction yeah all right i think we should catch up sometime soon and talk about i just i just want to say one last point i think I think any performance of the Doors is not a performance; it's a ritual. Right. And every song, every set is is it's a pure ritual. It's like no limits, no laws. Just what he says. Right. I mean, he finally broke on to the other side. Is <laughs> exactly. He broke really. on through to the other side. All right. Thanks All right. so much, Vikas. Thank you, Rishi, for having me. Our next episode will be up soon. Thanks for tuning in.